Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 239 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So if you're new to the show, we are all about overcoming obstacles, defying odds, turning trauma into power, and how to tell your story. So if that sounds like something that interests you, I encourage you to hang around. If you don't think it interests you, I think you're lying to yourself and you should hang around anyway so we have a chance to prove you wrong. And if you're joining me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, share the video, because the topic that we're sharing today is very, very important. And I've had other guests on the show that have dealt with this same level of of trauma slash abuse. And my guest today is going to dive into her story of what she went through, but more importantly, how she was able to navigate through everything, the what happened, the how to pick up the pieces, the how to move forward, the how to tell our story. So this is going to be a power-packed episode. And if you're joining me over on Facebook, please like and share, because again, there's lots of people out there that need to hear this. Just in the intro, I'm sweating. Look at this. What a hot mess. So anyway, um, again, if, if you're new to this, this is episode 239, and it's all about my guest journey. And I've had guests from six different continents. We're, we're heard in 44 different countries. And this is something I just started because COVID shut my gym down. And now we're impacting people all over the world two years later. So if you're tuning in, thank you. I appreciate you. And let's dive into this topic. So helping me is Coach Rachel Grant. And we're going to talk about her story, and get into the main topic. So, Rachel, how you doing? Mm, I'm good, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening. See, and thank you for coming back. So I was supposed to see Rachel last week, but I had some technical difficulties on my end, and we just couldn't get it going. So fortunately, she didn't get frustrated and run away, because some people do that. Like, you have issues, and they're just like, I'm done. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, like, mistakes happen in life. Right. But uh, where are you joining me from? San Francisco. San Francisco. I want to tell a very quick story about San Francisco. So my son in 2019 qualified for the track and field nationals. They were in Sacramento. So now I'm a single parent of five kids. So I do everything on a budget. So it was cheaper to fly into San Francisco and then drive to Sacramento. Like it was like hundreds of right, dollars right. difference between, you know, football myself and my son. And so Coming back now, it was 106 degrees in Sacramento, 106. As we're getting into San Francisco, we start seeing people with coats, with scarves, (laughs) (laughs) you know know what I'm saying, (laughs) pants. Now, my son and I were in a tank top, shorts, and sandals. This was in July. (laughs) July. We get Mm -hmm. to San Francisco, it's 51 degrees. It was a 55-degree swing from Sacramento to San Francisco. It's exactly right. It's exactly that. Yes. Yeah. There's a famous quote, sometimes attributed to Mark Twain, though it's suspect whether it was truly him or not. My coldest uh, summer was in July in San Francisco. Exactly. (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I was like, my son's not like, we stopped off at this mall so we could eat. We're walking through. We're the only ones Mm -hmm. just dying. Mm -hmm. It's like, do we not scream tourist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, they don't. It is true. We know when we've been people. I've been in San Francisco for ten years, mm-hmm. so I definitely consider it home in many ways. And yeah, we definitely when we're walking down the street, we're like, oh yeah, they're they're from out of town. They yep. they didn't layer. They didn't know. We gotta bring. <laughs> gotta bring the layers. Oh man. <laughs> All right, so so let's dive into mm. into the topic at hand because again, I've had multiple guests on on the show, you know, discussing this this topic. So just uh, just dive into to your story, the parts of your story you want to share. Mm, thank you, Robert. I always appreciate you know any platform where I get to tell this particular story. And so we'll begin when I was little, you know, about five years old growing up in Oklahoma. So I am a country girl at heart. Uh, And my grandfather came to live with our family, which I was super excited about, actually. It was kind of like a captive audience. He really paid a lot of attention to me. And I really loved just sitting with him on the front porch swing and talking and playing and watching shows together and all the typical things that, you know, a granddaughter and grandfather would do. And then one day when I was 10 years old, we were sitting out on the front porch swing and he began grabbing my breast. And I didn't really understand what was happening. I thought, oh, he just doesn't realize like where his hand is. Let me just kind of wiggle and move and, you know, adjust myself. Uh, But he actually gripped a hold of me and wouldn't let me move. And so I, of course, was very frightened, confused. I uh, hadn't really had any sort of introduction to sexuality at that point. This was in the 80s. So there wasn't a lot of body consciousness, awareness, you know, consent, you know, your body is your body kind of conversation happening in my home or in my school. Um, all I knew is that I just felt unsafe. But I also felt like this was a trusted adult and someone who I loved. And so maybe I shouldn't be feeling uncomfortable. Maybe this is actually something that's okay. Or so just a whirlwind of confusing thoughts and feelings, you know, all of a sudden. And, you know, I I eventually did kind of break away. And I remember very clearly, you know, jumping up and running to my parents' bedroom. Actually, there was this little space between their bed and their wall. And I just got in there, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. hunkered down curled up really small. And just so very immediately, one of the things we're going to talk about today, of course, is how trauma impacts our mindset. And it happens just like that. I'm immediately thinking thoughts. I must be bad. I did something wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. I must deserve that, right? Um, I I must be dirty or gross. Like just these immediate, like for a 10-year-old, like where do those thoughts come from? But they're just so quick to be on the scene. And the abuse continued for some time and continued to escalate until one day my mom just happened to walk by and she caught him. And uh, she came blazing out onto the front porch and just, you know, immediately snatched me away from him. And she and my father moved him out of the house within a day. He was gone. And um, I only had a few interactions with him again um, before he passed away. And I'm very thankful for that. I've been working with people who've experienced childhood sexual trauma for 15 years now. And so I hear too many stories of people who were not believed, who were not protected, um, even when a parent or a trusted person found out what was happening or understood what was happening, didn't do anything about it. 
So I have to just give mad props and love, you know, to my parents for, you know, cheers and celebrations to them because, you know, they did that. And, but what's also true is they just didn't know where to go from there, right? Like they, they tried to get me into therapy, but I was like, oh no, I am not. Are you crazy? I'm not sitting, I'm not talking about this. I'm, you know, let alone a 10 year old sitting down with a male therapist, like, no. And, um, I pretty much just kind of put my head in the sand. Like I'm fine. Everything's good. Let's just forget about it. But of course we know that doesn't really work. And yes. so my life was continuing to unfold and I was continuing to be impacted by this trauma. And I, I really struggled in my teen years with self-worth and confidence and, um, you know, my sexuality and trusting other people and lots of anger. Ooh, child, I was angry, <laughs> right? But I couldn't talk about what I was angry about. So it was everything but, right? Um, and eventually, you know, if we fast forward, fast forward, you know, uh, in my my late teens, I went off to college and um, I met a boy and we started to date. And I just realized very quickly that this trauma was still very much impacting me. Uh, and in many ways that that person helped me to kind of see that and, and maybe just really name it, like finally acknowledge it and own it. Like, yeah, there's a problem here. We've got to, we've got to do something. So I started therapy and I started the process of just acknowledging what had happened and kind of getting a sense of, oh, these are the reasons why I struggle with the things that I struggle with. Um, unfortunately, that relationship began as it evolved, became abusive. And so I was in this very strange world of trying to heal childhood trauma while experiencing physical and verbal, emotional abuse in the present day. And so it was just this mess. Let me, uh, let, me let me, let me jump in real quick. Cause, cause, okay. you, cause you unpacked a whole lot there. Yeah. Um, so you just mentioned that you recognize that there's a problem. Just, mm -hmm. just, just walk me through that. How mm. you came to that realization? Because I feel a lot of people with, with trauma, and now I help people tell stories of trauma. Yeah. So I've helped people deal with suicide. You know, you know, watching someone close to them commit suicide. Mm -hmm. You know, people dealing with abuse and you know, home in, home invasion, things of that of that nature. And a lot of it is just recognizing that I'm not okay. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. How, so how did you navigate that? Well, I think one of the first clues was when I started dating this person, uh, he had really good boundaries um, and I did not. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was confusing. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you saying no? Why, why are we immediate? You know, and it, it that made me just start to question like, oh, like people do things differently. They don't just immediately dive like all the way in or, you know, there's such a thing as pacing yourself in a relationship. Okay. That's new. Uh, you know, and then just the ways that I would be, um, reactive, like my insecurities, because, you know, my internal dialogue was so much around I'm worthless. I'm only good for so much and nothing more. Like I'm an object to be used. These are all narratives that I identified later. I didn't have conscious awareness that those were necessarily the things that I was thinking, but they were there. And so, you know, I would, I would have these real eruptions, what I eventually now in my work will describe as disproportional responses, 
right? Like, oh, I don't get a text message. And then rather than being able to like take a moment to say, oh, you know, maybe he lost his phone or, you know, maybe he's just running late or like, let me just wait and see what he has to say about what happened or even asking like, hey, I didn't get a, a response from you on this. Like, I would just immediately spiral. Like nobody loves me. He's cheating on me, right? Just that, that the big emotions yes. and seeing that in juxtaposition, at least in the early days with him of, his kind of very reasoned, calm, proportional responses to things, just it, it was like it couldn't be ignored any longer that my way of kind of walking through the world and responding and relating to myself and to others was not working, not working. Okay. So you also mentioned you did nothing wrong. And so now I'm in the process of writing a book. You know, again, it's about overcoming trauma. And chapter one is titled, You Did Nothing Wrong. Mm. You know, so in your teachings and your speaking and in your training, how do you help convince people that they did nothing wrong? Because just like you shared with all of the negative self-talk, mm. you know, that plays a role. But the, the key word in that to me is self, right? Mm -hmm. It's negative self-talk. So how yeah. do you help? Well, how did you help yourself navigate through that? And how do you now help others navigate that? Well, I think it really began at the moment when I when I left that relationship, when that relationship ended and I had to take a really clear, honest look at my life. And I just became really clear that if I didn't like get my shit together very quickly, mm -hmm. I was going to end up pretty much just surviving my life. I wasn't really living. I wasn't really thriving. And so that really is what propelled me to go and do my master's in counseling psychology. And I began to study the neuroscience of trauma and read everything that I could and kind of use myself as a guinea pig. And so, you know, the very first piece of the puzzle really is all about healing the nervous system because we can't get kind of into any of the trauma or touch upon even these questions or these feelings of like, is it my fault? Am I the one to blame? And try to start to get perspective on an experience until we can actually step up and look at the experience. And when we are traumatized and the nervous system is injured, our capacity to do that, we just have a very small window of tolerance. So I first really started working with the brain and how do I retrain the brain? How do I heal the nervous system? And, um, you know, there are very various layers and, and processes and steps to that. And then in sitting with the, the feeling of, you know, being to blame and I did something that caused, right? There are kind of three main beliefs that people have like this. It's my fault because, and then they'll look at something they did or they didn't do. I went out onto the porch. I didn't tell anyone, um, you know, I didn't say no. And then there are qualities or characteristics that people will often, this happened to me because I was a girl, because I was feminine, because I was cuddly. Um, this happened to me because I, I enjoyed the attention or I had a physical response. Like it, this is one of the things that's most confusing about sexual trauma is that it can be, you know, you can have a sense of pleasure or arousal or orgasm. And so all of that creates this, you know, spaghetti mess of like, well, therefore, how can it not be my fault if all of those things? So when I started to unpack that for myself, and of course, this is then what I do and what I, everything I do and beyond surviving is just basically saying, this is what I did. Here's how we're going to do it. Here are the steps. Let's go. Yes. 
thoughts? I started from the place of looking at the errors that I was making. I approached it very logically. Am I making an error in assigning causation? And how do we determine causation? All right, hold, hold on. Let, let, let me pause you again. I'm going to write that down so you can pick up where you left off. Causation. Because mm. you, you said something earlier that was gold, right? So you said you had to step up and look at the incident. Yeah. Saying that's one of the things that I'm finding when I'm working with people. And, and again, as human beings, we are naturally trained. It's in our DNA to avoid pain. Mm-hmm. It, it's in there. So a lot of people struggle with going back to the incident. Like, like again, when I was working with the woman who watched her childhood love kill himself and having her revisit that moment, it was very emotional for her. Right. Very emotional. It's like we got through it. But it took it took time. It took a lot of empathy, and for her, it took a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. You know, so so what can you say like directly to someone that's and it doesn't just have to be sexual assault or se- sexual abuse, no, yeah. just any type of trauma about stepping up and looking at the incident. Well, the first thing that I say to all my clients in session number one is that we cannot heal what we will not name. Yes, I love that. Mm. And so we want to look at the ways that we've been minimizing or dismissing an experience. And that could be because of our own behavior. And oftentimes other people will be minimizing or dismissing. Get over that already. It was so long ago. Mm. Yada, yada, yada. Can be that big of a deal. Right. So there's this little moment of saying, like, essentially the the energetics of it, the psychology of it is it's like this elephant. And if I just push it over here into the corner and like it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. deal, And I'm over here. I'm going to live my life. Right. I'm going to live my best life. But this elephant is there and it is taking up space energetically. And so when we say, all right, I'm no longer going to do that. Two things, two mindsets that are really helpful to get you to kind of turn and look and say, okay, elephant, I see you is one support. Don't do it alone. Like, just don't do it alone. Like, it doesn't even have to be more complicated than that. Find a mentor, find a guide, find a resource, find a friend, right? Because we can't do that by ourselves. And the other thing is to remember and to remind yourself and give yourself permission that you don't have to deal with the whole elephant all at once. Yes. Right. So, it's like I can take this in little bits and work with it. And that's actually one of the reason. I mean, also because I have a background in education and my mind just works in terms of curriculum. But that is one of the reasons why the Beyond Surviving program is a step-by-step process. It's different from therapy in that sense, right? It's, uh, well, here's our lesson, here's our topic, here's what we're working on, because I only want you looking at this one little, yeah, 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 we're gonna get to the other pieces, I promise, we're gonna get to those, you know, other things, but let's just right here for right now, and let's get that, settle that in, and then let's add in a little bit more. And so that's really, you know, my focus is how do we maximize healing and minimize re-traumatization by taking things in a very particular order and at a very particular pace. So do you agree with this statement? And, and again, I've done probably 50 episodes on, on grief, at least, at least 50, mm. possibly more than that, that you don't man, uh, that you don't get rid of depression. You manage it. 
It's one of those things. So a lot of people hit hit depressive states because of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just just a quick example, like my father passed in 2019, and like we 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 had to end care. Like we watched him die. You see, and you know, so like we we fast forward uh, just about two years, and one of my gym gym clients, we were away at a race and. You know, her father was sick and she got the phone call that it it might be any time now. And I was in a good place, but then when when I heard she got that phone call, it just triggered something in me because then mm-hmm. I remembered my sister calling me saying dad's not gonna survive the day. Yeah. And it's like and I don't wanna into you know, get interfere with her mindset. So I just went out to the front of the Airbnb and I, I had my moment. It's like I thought I was past that. Mm. And that mm. one, like, because I've done multiple episodes on just losing parents or just losing loved ones in general, yeah. and I could get up here and I could tell the story about them, but just hearing that phone ring and just seeing the look of horror on her face just brought me mm. right back to that day, mm. you know. So, so, so again, what what are your thoughts on that? Like the, right. the act, like the act of what happened will never leave your brain, but it's, it's how you move on from it where the yeah. healing comes from. For sure, for sure. I mean, Beyond Surviving as a concept really came about as a from a moment of me talking with someone and then reflecting back to me, you know, you're such a survivor, you've gotten through so much, you never gave up, these sorts of things. And I got really angry <laughs> at this person. I didn't know I was going to get angry, but I was angry. And I said, you know, I, that's what? Like, who wants to just, like, survive their life? Nobody yeah. wants to do that. And so you know, like there has to be something beyond it. And as this work has grown and evolved over the last 15 years, you know, my philosophy is that trauma is not a life sentence and that we are not meant to be in a constant state of recovery. That doesn't mean that we aren't going to feel things, (laughs) right? So there's, there's a distinction between being in recovery where Oh, so much of your time and your attention and your mental energy and even your physicalness is kind of wrapped up with something that is historical. It's from the past. It's of the past. And the goal in Beyond Surviving is really about how do we integrate an experience, a wounding, a moment like sexual trauma in such a way that we we hold it as a part of our narrative, a part of our story but it is not the story. And we then are able to move forward in our lives. And when things come up, because things can pop up, the brain is so layered, so faceted. And oftentimes what will ping something or cause us to, you know, remember a trauma or a moment um, can be very on the nose, such as this person's going through about to lose their father. I went through that myself, but it can also be very, um, random, like a smell or a sound mm-hmm. or, you know, a texture. And so being um, how you respond in those moments and being equipped to be able to self-resource and support yourself without going into catastrophizing. Oh, mm-hmm. see, I'm all, nothing's ever changed. I'm still so broken. Like, no, you're human. And you're just having yes. a human response and a human experience to something that is sad and hard or painful. Yeah. And now walk through that without it, you know, derailing you, you know, that's exactly. the idea. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's important to feel what you feel. 
you know, like like there there were days. You know, I I keep I keep a picture of my dad right here, right here mm-hmm. in my office from back when he was in the Marines. You know, and like then there were some days where I'm just totally at peace with what happened because mm-hmm. he totally would have sucked as an old man. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was just very independent, very busy. He was an engineer. He loved to build things, mm-hmm. and he and he always said, "When I can't build anymore, that's when I'm gonna be done." Yeah. And he was 79. He got sick with stage four heart failure. You know, he had to call mm-hmm. my daughter and I down to, to, to install a TV for him and stuff. And I, I could tell it like he was just lo- losing his manhood. Like he was just a manly man, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I could just tell. So it's like he, like he went when he should have gone. Cause if he would have lived to be like 90 something on an oxygen tank and all this stuff, like, he would have been absolutely miserable. Yeah. You know, so like w- when I have those moments, I think back to that. Right. To, to where yeah. it's like, you know, he had a good ending. He died right before 2020 mm-hmm. where everything shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all able to see him say goodbye, you know, so it's like, Beautiful. I don't, I don't focus on the fact that he's not here anymore. You know? Well, that's really a, an important piece of the puzzle. It, you're making me think of a couple of things. One is someone asked Keanu Reeves once, what happens when we die? And his response was the best response I've ever heard. The people who love us will miss us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's exactly what you're describing, right? Yes. There are days that that missing is always sitting there and it's yep. just, a, it's kind of like an accordion. It kind of expands or it contracts. Yes. And there are moments where it gets really big and it feels really present. And so in those moments, you soothe yourself by thinking about what you have, comforting yourself by thinking about, you know, all the things that you just named. And the word that you use there is focus. And that's something that I work on quite intentionally with my clients because focus really is power. Yes. You know, the brain, we're constantly teaching the brain what to pay attention to, what to prove. And we go out and we gather the evidence. And so, you know, when people, when we become locked in grief or when we become locked in trauma, what's really happened is that we become hyper-focused on this one incident or incidents, like as a, a, a constellation, abuse, a trauma is often more than one thing. Uh, and we're, we, we stop looking around, <laughs> right? <laughs> we stop taking in, you know, um, I have a client who we're working with this in some ways right now is, you know, very much focused in on the lack, the ways in which her parents didn't protect her didn't care for her, weren't there for her. And we need to do the work of naming it, acknowledging it, as we've been talking about. We need to try to get perspective on it. But right now, there's such tunnel vision that she's missing out on all the love that's actually around her right now. Yes. Right. And so we do that with with trauma. You know, we we start to think nobody's ever going to love me. And we only think about the people who have rejected us and ignore all the people who have cared for <laughs> us. So right? Nobody's so ever there to support me. And right. We only mm-hmm. think about the times when people have let us down and we forget all the times when somebody has shown up for us. Yes. Right. I'm completely like unlovable and we ignore all of the wonderful, beautiful reasons why we are lovable. And so. Yeah, you know, I love that I get to sit with people in this struggle, right? It really is an unlearning 
you know, we, we are taught things um, physically, biologically, nervous system wise, neurologically, and then, you know, psychologically with belief systems as a result of trauma. It's like all these layers that get put upon us yes. and that, you know, healing is really about you know, strip that layer. <laughs> take that off, <laughs> pull that away, like, what, you know, and then, and then we get to show up as ourself, and I, I would say in my own personal experience, like, that's been part of the, the magic of, of my own healing, is that, you know, it wasn't that I had to go and reinvent myself, it, like, the, the authentic self, my true nature, my true self was kind of just sitting there waiting <laughs> for me, you know, to face the things that, were hard to reframe, to reject, and to really reclaim yes. who I am, what I want, what I'm all about, my mind, my body, my spirit, so that I can go out into the world and create the life that I really love. Love it. It's like you see it says up above us, your true power lies in your story. Like and you've said it, you've said it a couple of times, and I said it earlier too. Like it's not what happens. It's about how you how you speak about what happens much or, so. what, or what happened, and, and it and it can really be it can really be anything. Like again, the, this whole show, the premise of this show started because in two thousand nine, I suffered a really bad knee injury during an athletic event, and the doctors told me I'd never run or jump again. Now I had just gotten into fitness officially, and as I said earlier, I have five kids, so they were all small then. And I think my twin boys, when the injury happened, were only four months. And so and I'm thinking I'll never run or jump again. Like, I'll never play basketball with my kids. I'll never do that. And they just started getting into this, this negative headspace. But then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right. Uh, oh, like, they, don't, they don't get to decide how I'm going to heal. Mm-hmm. They don't get that. I said, your job is to put my knee back together. Yeah. I said, I'll that's take right. it from there. I love that. Robert. <laughs> you know? and, and like, yeah, that's like, powerful. No, you're not going to decide what what space I live in. And so yeah. when I'm working with people that have gone through stuff, and and again, like I've told, I, I'll tell this quickly, then then we'll bring it down. Is I told one of my clients, so he he, he lost his son when his son was only nine, huh. and it's like you know that's parents' worst nightmare. And something, you know, knock on wood, I hope I never have to deal with it, mm-hmm. right? And so we, I was te- teaching a class, and he was up against the wall during the class, and I could tell he was he was emotional. And so I go over, I put my hand on his shoulder, and I was like, what's going on, man? And he's like, I just miss him. I just miss him so much. Yeah. And I said, do you believe he can see you? And so mm-hmm. he, he he looks up at me. He's like, yeah. He's like, I want I want to believe that. I said, do you think he likes what he sees right now? Like she's like said, do you think he wants to see his dad up on the wall, not engaged with the rest of the class? I said, does he want to see his dad being an MF and beast? Mm. <laughs> you know? And so he kind of perked up a little. He's like, You're right. I said, damn right. I said he he can watch you right and show him what his dad is capable of. Mm. But he's like, No, let's get off this wall and get back on the path. Mm. You know, and then at the end of the class, he was like, thank you. So he's like, that's exactly what I need yeah. to hear. He needed that little shift of energy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I think the space in which we, we create opportunity to feel our feelings and, you know, I think healing from trauma is a very much a process of grieving in many ways. You know, there are what we call desired alternative outcomes 
you know, we wish it hadn't happened. I, you know, I wish somebody had jumped in and helped yes. me. I wish I had run away. Like there are all of these things. Yeah. And when we begin to accept that those things are not going to happen, that what happened happened. Yes. And we then feel grief and, you know, allowing ourselves to feel that, but also allowing ourselves to embrace life as it is now and create our own sense of empowerment and presence and, um, you know, resilience and just reclaim our right to live our life. Because, you know, I often say like every client is a little bit of an F you to my grandfather. I live through that lens too. Not that there's like, not that it's an anger place, but just a little bit like you meant this for ill. Mm. But guess what? I'm still you know? here. I'm still here yes. and I'm doing my thing and I'm bringing other people along on the journey with me. And, um, and through that, you know, as we, we tell our stories, one of my dear colleagues, um, Donna Jensen, she does, uh, she has a website called time to tell, and she does writing workshops with survivors. And one of her famous sayings is telling is healing. And, you know, that's it. So I, I love that you create this space for people to tell their stories, to not be ashamed, to bring their truth to the table. Because when we find safe spaces to do that, and we're really witnessed and we're really seen, yeah, I think that just opens up every single possibility that we have for living a good life. Yeah. And, you know, before, before I give you the final words, and it's it's equally disturbing for both men and women, because for men, we think vulnerability is being weak. Mm. You know, like, And I've done a couple of episodes and I've done a couple solo videos on how vulnerability is it's the ultimate strength. And even for me growing up, you know, my dad loved him to death, miss him to death, but he was like a, he was a Marine. Mm, yeah. You know, like, it was <laughs> right. just like, you do what I say, because I, I said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, you know, there, there mm -hmm. wasn't a whole lot of empathy coming out of him. And, and mm. I, I kind of got that. Like, I kind of have that kind of tough no I mean the name of the show is shut up and grind it's like I kind of, I kind of adopted <laughs> right I kind of adopted that mentality myself yes you know it's like mm -hmm. we're living in a different climate now so like with my kids yeah. that just doesn't work like the world is different now you know so it's like yeah. understanding that it's like yeah I'm not gonna just up and change overnight but at least I'm more aware that right. you know with other okay. people like I gotta I gotta tread a little lightly like Shut up and grind doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I often describe myself as compassionately challenging. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a smile. <laughs> right. And yeah. I think, you know, in the space that we, you know, a mentor has to have that a little bit, yeah. right? Like if you're just, you know, constantly, if you don't push people and, and move them out of their comfort zone. Yes. Right. They're going to can just continue with the status quo. Exactly. Um, but finding the balance between, you know, shut up and do it. And <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, give you a little bit of grace when it's feeling hard. Right. Yes. And to love you through that and nurture you through that moment. Yeah, it's powerful. So true. So true. All right. So let people know where they can find you. What, what do you got going on? If you have any programs to offer. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, you can certainly learn more about me at rachelgrantcoaching.com. 
Uh, on the website, you will find a few things that I'd love to highlight. One, if you scroll to the bottom, you can get my three stages of recovery checklist. This is a great place to start because it's going to kind of break down for you the, the stages of healing, what the goals are for each of those stages, and the best kind of support to get based on which stage you're in. It's laid out very linearly, but that doesn't mean that that's actually what happens. You can be in more than one stage at once, but it just gives you a nice little framework to kind of assess yourself. And, um, and so definitely pick that up. You can learn more about the Beyond Surviving program. Uh, and if you think that that would be a good next step for you, uh, then you can fill out an application for a Discover Your Genuine Self session and we'll have a conversation. We'll get to know each other and, and see if it is a good fit. And if not, then I'll direct you towards some of my other resources like my 28-day program, my monthly support group, my free resources like my Facebook, my podcast, right? So you can kind of access all that too. So if you just want to kind of dip your toe in the water and kind of check me out and feel me out a little bit, check out the blog, check out the podcast. Um, and then if you want to take a, a step to get in touch, I'm here. I am so happy to be a resource and support however I can be. Love it. Rachel, this has been great. Robert, so, thanks glad. for making it happen. <laughs> with me. I so enjoyed our conversation. Good. Thank you. I did as well. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on. It's like I do, I do panels. I'm actually slacking on these. But like I bring back some of my former guests and we, we pick a topic. And we just go round table about, about the topic. I'm definitely overdue for one. But uh, I started man managing in Anytime Fitness now. So it's like my days have gotten way longer. <laughs> so mm. so I, I've been slacking on, on the panels. And like I said earlier, I'm away this weekend. So I'm hoping maybe in probably three weeks we'll get another panel going. But uh, yeah, I'd love to nice. invite Keep you to be on that. Yeah. Absolutely well. All right. So this is great. I, I'm pretty sure I have all of your contact info in the description. So on all of the podcast sites and you can download this probably. I'm going to upload it right now. So maybe give it about 10 minutes or so. You can get it on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and uh, distribute it out. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Take care. Happy travels. Happy travels. See ya. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Till next time, shut up and grind.